What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And welcome back to the Baseball America podcast. Once again, here on BaseballAmerica.com and iTunes, I'm Alan Matthews alongside John Manuel for a, uh, I guess, hopefully a memorable and certainly a significant uh, Baseball America podcast. John, it'll be my final one here joining you uh, and anyone else for that matter as we get ready for the winter meetings and talk a lot about the Rule 5 draft and a couple of trades that have gone down in baseball. Of course, we'll have all the news that our listeners want to hear, uh, and we might get a little bit sentimental towards the end because this will be my, my last one. It's been a lot of fun doing these with you, John. We'll get, we'll get sentimental at the start. I mean, it's uh, we got one whole team of podcasters down. A year and a month into the podcast, <laughs> you and Matt Myers – uh, both going on, and uh, it is. Uh, I'll, I will get sentimental at the start. I, I think that our podcasts are cool things that we do at Baseball America, but I also think that, you know, this is a new media age, mm-hmm. and I think that Baseball America is adjusting to the new media age. Our website is clearly a big part of what we do, but I think the podcaster, we try to have fun with it and not take it too seriously, but I also hope that people realize if, boy, if we wanted to take it seriously, I think we could, because you have all kinds of broadcast experience, and I think you brought that to the podcast, and but beyond that, I mean, it's gratifying, frankly, to have been the man, one of your managers and your peers, and to see your growth as a journalist in five years, um, to get verklempt on you. Um, that really is gratifying because I do feel like I helped you do that, mm-hmm. and it's extremely gratifying for Baseball America to have organizations, and I will stress plural organizations. Um, validate what we did by sending you on the road aggressively to make Prospects Plus the service that it is. I feel it's a really quality recruiting and scouting service of amateur players. We professionalized it. We have brought it up to Baseball America standards. I say we, and that really means you. And that has been validated by organizations seeking to employ you as a scout, and the Colorado Rockies have hired you as an area scout, and I'm proud of that for Baseball America. Mostly I'm proud of you. You earned it, and I'm really excited for you. So well, it thanks, is, John. So it is sad from our standpoint, but that's for real. I am very proud of you. Well, thanks, man. There's no question that uh, one of the qualifications to work here when I started five years ago was a passion for the game. Uh, and while I was extremely short in writing and baseball knowledge, uh, I was uh, very, you know, I was full of passion for the game and I wanted to learn. And uh, the, the first day I stepped into the office, I was completely overwhelmed, uh, a little bit shell-shocked by the amount of knowledge that was thrown around in here. And you can't help but get smarter uh, by working with people like yourself and Will Lingo, uh, Jim Callis, even though he's not based here uh, on a day-to-day basis, Josh Which is a real Boyd. tragedy. Yes, it is. But uh, <laughs> our tragedy. our contact with with Jim, obviously on the phone on a pretty much a daily basis, has also benefited me. And and I appreciate the opportunity. You're right. You guys did send me out on the road. You gave me, uh, you know, you gave me the tools to learn uh, and to kind of launch my own career after Baseball America. Uh, and just over five years, uh, you're right. There was a handful of teams, uh, a pro 
approaching double figures in some points this summer that had approached me uh, inquiring either casually or seriously about scouting. It was something that I loved to do. I loved to be in the field. I loved learning more about evaluating. And uh, when the right offer came along in the right club in the right area, uh, I jumped all over it. And I'll be leaving uh, at the end of uh, the calendar year to, to work for Colorado. And it's been fun. I really appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity uh, to kind of to, to take that next step because without Baseball America and you personally, John, I never would have had that chance. Well, I, I appreciate it, but it's two, it's two people now in five years. I mean, Josh Boyd, Baseball America alumnus now in the pro scouting department with the Texas Rangers. Um, he's got players on the way in the Padres organization that's working as an area scout. And, you know, to me, it just, uh, again, it's a new media age, and there's a lot of new baseball media out there, but, uh, you know, I. There were many challenges to baseball. It's inexplicable. Our survival is inexplicable. <laughs> uh, started by a Canadian guy in a garage. I mean, how the hell do we exist? years ago, yep. But we exist because we give a damn, and I think we're passionate about it, and I think that shows, and so I hope that comes across in the podcast. And it certainly, to segue into a real podcast, comes across in Chris Klein's Mad passion for the Rule 5 draft. The guy wants to do a minor league Rule 5 draft preview on BaseballAmerica.com next week. Knock yourself out, Chris. And here's the worst part about all this, verklemness and sentimentality in this uh, in this podcast, is me and Chris already did one of these, and in my infinite wisdom, I erased it. So uh, I didn't erase I didn't even record it right in the first place. So, so we apologize to Chris right. because his breakdown, uh, unfortunately, can only be read by our subscribers and not heard on the podcast. But why don't we uh, delve into some of the particulars of this year's Rule 5 draft, John, which will be a little bit different from years past based on protection rules uh, that were altered in the collective bargaining agreement uh, a revision of 2006. Yeah, what happened is that these rules were changed last year, but they were changed late in the game, so teams didn't have a whole year to prepare for the Rule 5 draft the same way they did this year. But the Rule 5, the real gist of it, teams got a little extra time to evaluate their own players and to keep their own players. So this year, international players signed age of 19 and younger in the year 2003 eligible, older than that, 2004 draft and beyond, 2004 signees. And beyond. So that's the cutoff date. That's what people are eligible for. So um, really the, the key part of this Rule 5 draft is that you know, last year, I think people need to realize, and I've been one of these guys in the past, I've poo-pooed the Rule 5 draft as much ado about nothing, but it's not nothing. And this decade, to me, has been a resurgent Rule 5 draft decade, whether you had the 99 pickup, but to, uh, this decade top Rule 5, well, it wasn't 99, it was like 2001. Johan Santana. I mean, he's the right. talk of baseball right now that he might get traded. And uh, that's a Rule 5 pick. But Dan Ugla is close to 60 home runs the last two years in the big leagues. Rule 5 pickup straight from double-A, and he's hitting home runs in Florida. I know he strikes out a lot. I know he's not, uh, you know, Bobby Gritch at second base defensively, but he's kind of a similar player. He's like a poor man's Bobby Gritch, and he's pretty good. And uh, then this year we had Josh Hamilton, among others. He had several Rule 5 guys who stuck this year. But Josh Hamilton was a crazy Rule 5 pick. I didn't even mention Joachim Soria, who was very, very good in our top 20 rookies. Yep. So we had two Rule 5 picks in our top 20 rookies this year in Joachim Soria and Josh Hamilton. And so the Rule 5 draft merits being paid attention to. It would be cool if it were televised. If there were a Baseball America channel, it certainly would be. And we'd have hours of coverage leading up to it and little <laughs> helmet phones and the whole thing. And Chris Klein would be the Mel Kuyper of the Rule 5 draft because he is – so mad into this. And I want to lead off our talk about his preview, Alan, 
with a great little anecdote about the first player we mentioned, Randor Beard. And I may be mispronouncing Randor's name, but first off, his it's name is Randor. It's not exactly household, even around these parts. No, it's not. His name is Randor, which is awesome, first of all. Second of all, a couple of years ago, I did the Tigers' top 30, and much to my chagrin, uh, after they lost Kenny Ball on my original top number 30, <laughs> I inserted Vincent Blue because I didn't know enough about Randor Beard. I had a hunch on Randor Beard based on his stats and his size and his age, but I didn't have enough information. I hadn't gotten anything out of anyone in the organization, and I hadn't seen anyone. I hadn't talked to anyone out of the organization who had seen Randor Beard. So I couldn't rank him. I could have ranked him, but I couldn't. Have, I could not write him up. It would have been impossible to write other than, anything other than Randor Beard is a six foot five Dominican who reportedly has a low 90s sinker. Right. That's really all I knew about him. In 2006, the guy goes out and gets hurt, and he had Tommy John surgery. But now he's back. And oh, it's 05. I'm sorry. I guess it was after the 05 season. Uh, I guess he had this time. It might have been late in 05. I, I'm getting my Randor beard facts mixed up. Midway he's, through the 05 season, it's midway I think, through is 05. when he broke down. Well, he, but. Uh, he, he's, now he's back, though. And the first guy, this, this point of the story is Chris wanted to go alphabetical with some of the guys he was asking about. And he was talking to a scout this week about possible Rule 5s. And the guy said, well, I've got a sleeper, so let's see if you find him. And Chris goes, okay, well, the first guy I wanted to ask you about was Randor Beard. And the guy went, damn, that's it. Right. That was his guy. That was his deep sleeper. Right. And that's the first name that Chris, when Chris and I were going over these lists, that was one of the names that jumped out to me. And Chris had already heard some good things on Randor Beard. Yeah, I guess the thing was in 05, at the end of that year, he jumped up with four starts in Erie. Right. Um, and that's the bit in the problem. He you look at the overall numbers, it's hard to find the overall number, but he had 84 strikeouts in 64 innings this year. He's got some starting experience. The Tigers handled him carefully this year, but it's power sinker. It's it's a power slider. It's a ground ball slider. It's not a two-plane slider. Developing changeup. Chances guy could start, but also chances guy could come into a big league team and be like a Kevin Cameron was this year for the Padres, a sixth or seventh inning middle relief guy, get your ground balls, and gain experience, and you can keep him for a whole year, and he won't uh, just be a filler guy. He'll be a guy who can actually maybe help your team. So I guess the question that begs to be asked is why wasn't he protected by the Tigers? And obviously one of the things that we'll see a, a pretty consistent theme throughout all these Rule 5 drafts over the years has been the t the better systems are the teams that are getting the players taken from. And obviously that makes sense given the fact that they're – they have better players, so they're going to have to protect more of their top prospects. Right. Therefore, the back-end guys have more value than they do in other organizations that aren't as deep and some organizations who aren't even protecting 40 players. I think it was a real struggle for the Tigers, just reading a little bit about it online this week and looking at the guys that they left unprotected. They left some interesting guys unprotected, but he's by far the top guy. I mean, they left some guys who were high picks, some toolsy guys like Wilkin Ramirez, and they left uh, – some relics of the past Tigers administration, Kyle Sleeth, uh, what's his name, uh, Jace Boers, uh, Colin Mahoney, guys they pinned some hopes on. Those are the kind of guys they left unprotected. Uh, but I think Randor Beer really sticks out among the guys they left unprotected as far as by far the highest ceiling. And he's in their top 30 prospects, and he might end up in someone else's top 30 prospects. I have a feeling he's going to be a guy who goes. And the highest profile guy, Allen, who's on this list, of unprotected players is Brian Barton. He's the guy whose photo we used to lead with the with the Rule 5 preview. 
He's a guy we've talked about on podcasts before because he had a breakout season in 2006, and uh, he has got tools. Uh, there's undeniably a knee injury in there that has hampered him for parts of the last two seasons. At the same time, the guy can run. Uh, the hit tool, There's not scouts don't seem to like the swing. It's certainly unconventional, but he produces. Uh, this year, his power was down. It's a big concern, I think, is – is this guy just an extra guy? In which case, he still might be a valuable Rule 5 guy, but he'd make more sense as an extra guy if he were left-handed hitter rather than a right-handed hitter. Right. And if you're looking for a fourth outfielder type, uh, maybe Garrett Guzman of the Twins is, is more your Huckleberry, a left-handed hitting uh, outfielder kind of in the Orlando Palmero mode, uh, a little bit less center field than Orlando Palmero was in his heyday, but a little bit more power than Orlando Palmero. And, Right, it's a useful 200 at bats a year player. So. Yep, and he's got to me. He's got the key ingredient. That's the run tool. When you think about Rule Five Agreed. drafts, and, and there might not be a player who can play every day. You lose an awful lot of value unless you can come off the bench and hit a home run, or you can run. You can steal a base, and you can do some things in terms of your defensive versatility that's going to add value to you. Because a, a one-dimensional extra player, whether it's an infield or an outfielder, ain't doing many teams a whole lot of good, and they're not going to get as much interest in the Rule 5 draft. And for that reason, to me, Diori Hernandez is the best up. position guy on this list. And I know bring him up. He's a that, guy that you talked about in the Southern League list, Alan, where you talked to some scouts who really liked him. And this is a guy who has been in the Braves' top 30 in the past. But he's not just an extra guy. It's something he's got some offensive upside. There's no doubt about it. And, and unfortunately, in my case, I did talk to a couple of different scouts, but it wasn't across the board. I, I don't know. I guess maybe uh, I was so excited about doing the League Top 20 doing pro stuff after an entire summer of doing amateur right. coverage that I went a little bit overboard. I think I wound up interviewing about nine scouts who had <laughs> Southern League coverage. I hope that list looks good in a couple of years. It ought to, unless these guys were just uh, really <laughs> snowing me off. I'm thinking on, uh, the same thing. Like if uh, I've talked to 11 guys about my Mets list, it better be right. Right. I mean, 11 guys. And frankly, on. of all those scouts, there were only one or two that liked them, but they really liked them. In fact, I had one guy who said he was tempted to run him ahead of Brandon Jones on the Mississippi list, and he had Mississippi for like 12 games. Wow. So he got a good look at this Liked kid. him better than Reed Brignac, and for then, example. Yeah, Much exactly. higher profile prospect. And then two weeks later, I run into Kirk Kemp, the first-year farm director for Atlanta, when he's in town Richmond's playing Tampa Bay, the de- the Double Rays mm-hmm. affiliate here in Durham, and I say, Kurt, what do you got on Dior Hernandez? And it was about as lukewarm of a response as I ever would have expected on a player that I'd heard so many good things about. And so it was no surprise to me when the Braves, already a, a, an organization that has an influx of middle infield prospects, yeah. uh, left Dior Hernandez off their 40-man roster. But to me, he's another guy because he can run. And unlike Barton, he can play three infield positions, right. whereas Barton has versatility in the outfield. Hernandez can More play... More valuable than that an infielder, though, no doubt. There's no doubt about it. So to me, he's a guy, he doesn't have the pop that Barton has, uh, and there are some makeup concerns in terms of how hard he goes about his business, uh, not not only on the field during the game, but also hmm. uh, working and, and things of that nature uh, before and after games. So, things, things an organization would know better than a pro right. scout sitting on a couple weeks, but still, to go in there and sit on a team for that, that long and be that impressed by the player. I, I was gonna. I'm, I'm glad you brought him up because he's a guy who he's the best infield on the list, on this list for sure. And that's including we didn't even include all-time John Manuel personal cheeseball Van Pope, who the Braves also did not protect. Really, I love Van Pope. I love the tools. Number one in the Central Illinois Collegiate League in 2003. 
top ten summer that top top ten uh, prospect that summer. I would rather watch uh, Van Pope take infield than go to an NFL game. I, I love mean, Van Pope. The guy can really th- really throw, Pope. and it is fun to see a guy. You and I have talked about this who can really throw. The tool probably so not easy. nearly as valuable as it is fun to watch. Man, he can really throw. You can see why scouts go a little crazy about the throw tool sometimes when you see a guy like Van Pope who does it easy and the ball just has easy carry and. Yep. Uh, anyway, Van Pope might, might be a Royals option because he's got some raw power. And, of Dayton course, Moore likes him. Dayton Moore likes him. And Lonnie Goldberg, who signed Van Pope as nice. an amateur, now works for Kansas City. So who knows? Hey, why not? And uh, one, the one one last guy we have to make sure we mention here is Late Layson Septimo. I wish that he played for the Yankees <laughs> so John Sterling could say his name. Um, but Layson Septimo, Chris wanted me to make sure to mention. This is all Chris Klein's information Except for the Dior Hernandez, by the way. The rest of it's mostly Chris Klein's. <laughs> but um, Lacey Septimo, converted outfield joker, in instructional league, he has never pitched a professional inning. He's only, in fact, Chris, if Chris remembers correctly, he thinks that Lacey Septimo didn't even throw an inning in an instructional league game. It was all on the side. But that scouts who did instructs, uh, scouting, and coverage – of the Diamondbacks in Arizona reported triple digits on Lace and Septimo. So, and it's guys who I guess already do that organization and had seen him and written him up as an eight arm in the outfield. Okay. So Lace and Septimo is to me this year's Pedro Strop because last year Pedro Strop was a converted shortstop, Pioneer League, a lot of buzz leading up to the Rule 5, but no one could pull the trigger on a Pioneer League guy with a half season of pitching. Went up late to Asheville, I think, I but think hadn't did. pitched enough at the low-A level to get the, that exposure. Right, and it been a half lot, season. And yeah. a lot of scouts had already shut down their pro coverage by the, the late August weeks. Right. So he hadn't been seen quite as much, I don't think. So they're interesting. There are there are a lot of interesting guys on this list to me. I mean, Kyle Another Asselton. Rocky and Sam Deduno, another live-arm right-hander. Absolutely, me. and there's some conflicting reports about his health. Uh, he was he came back from winter ball to Denver to get examined. Uh, depends on who you talk to, who you want to believe about about his elbow. Uh, Carlos Guevara is the stat guy. A lot of strikeouts. If you know, if you're looking for a bullpen guy, he could be a guy. Um, screwballer, correct? Screwball guy, Mike Marshall guy. I mean, hey, Brett Smith of the Yankees was in Double A. A lot of people saw that Trenton team. He's probably the fifth starter, but that's because the first four were guys like Jabba Chamberlain, Ian Kennedy, Alan Horn, Jeff Marquez. Uh, this guy was a high-profile guy in a UC Irvine. Uh, it's average fastball. It's three average pitches. He threw a no-hitter in the Eastern League this year. Uh, he's got some upside. Uh, you know, Preston Larison's a ex-high uh, pick who's had some arm problems but has shown big-time velocity in a relief role, the Tiger system. They're always interesting guys. It's Dusty Hughes, the American dream, Dusty Hughes, uh, if I may throw a little <laughs> NWA reference out there. Um, you know, threw a no-hitter in the Midwest League in 2004 and is a short left-hander with uh, who spins it and has average fastball velocity and pitched very well in the Arizona Fall League. So there are a lot of guys. To, to bring a full circle to the Verklemp moments at the beginning of this podcast, Chris Lubansky, not protected. Uh, your first story ever at Baseball first America. First ever Allen. story, yep. Chris Lubansky, a completely different player from the guy that you talked about in 2003. Yep, when he was in high school and uh, was supposedly one of that great bumper crop of bumper uh, crop. high school outfielders that included Delman Young and Lastings Millage, and Chris Lubansky's name was mentioned 
every single time those other two guys came up out of that class. I think four overall, John, just a <laughs> wow. super kid and just hasn't been able to refine his swing and approach in pro ball and has really struggled. Uh, the tools aren't showing up. They haven't translated. Uh, the, the Royals, I'm sure, um, are pulling their hair out in terms of, of trying to figure out a way to get him to grow into those tools that, that were once present um, and unfortunately not protected. And who knows, you know, uh, Josh Hamilton, you know, was right. a huge surprise a year ago. Sometimes guys pop up in that Rule 5 draft as much diligence as, as Chris does on this stuff that even Chris had no idea were going to oh, get popped. So well, we it's very no unpredictable. That's part of, a, uh, part of what makes it so fun to me. Um, and if you're still listening to the podcast 20 minutes in, <laughs> after about 15 minutes of breaking down these types of players, uh, you're why we exist. You're That's why right. we That's love right. you. And I hopefully uh, it's reciprocated, obviously, uh, if you're still with us here on the Baseball America podcast. Well, it was quite a week for the 2003 draft because Lubansky, five overall pick in that draft, not protected. Um, you also had, I'm pretty sure Ryan Harvey, was he not very high in the 03 draft? Cubs? He was a first rounder. He's not protected in this draft. Matt Moses, first round pick of the Twins, not yep. protected. He's a Rule 5 eligible. Kyle Sleeth, second pitcher drafted, or was he the first? Him and Tim Stauffer, I was getting mixed up, not protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the number one overall pick in 2003, Delman Young, to wrap up the show, Alan, traded in what is a blockbuster trade by Baseball America standards, because two guys who, uh, you know, d- number one prospect in their organization in the, in the prospect handbook uh, this year, uh, Delman Young and Matt Garza at the center of this trade between the Devil Rays, and, I'm sorry, the Rays, and the Minnesota Twins. And so you have Garza, uh, right-hander Matt Garza, shortstop Jason Bartlett, right-hander Eduardo Morlan to Tampa in exchange for Delman Young, um, Jason Pridey, and I'm blanking Brendan on Brendan Harris. Harris. Thank you. I used to email with <laughs> all the time back in his Bill and Mary days uh, Very in nice. college. So six-player trade, three for three. Who do you like and why? Who do you think get the better of the trade because we are in the judgmental society? Well, I, I, I know that Delman Young has kind of had a checkered minor league career, and I know a lot of people who don't follow uh, minor league baseball as closely as our readers and probably listeners do probably just know him for the incident two right. years ago in Durham and obviously uh, he ran his mouth had very little respect for some pretty good veteran players uh, that were up in Tampa Bay in terms yep. of uh, feeling like he deserved a chance to play before he did have an opportunity that's neither here nor there the point is he's clearly the most talented player in my opinion of the six who were dealt in this trade and I think he's got a chance to be a middle of the order a perennial all-star type player. I love Matt Garza, but Matt Garza hasn't done enough, in my opinion, to warrant uh, Tampa Bay shipping Delman Young out to Minnesota in this deal. I thought the Twins really got the best of the deal. The complimentary players also, in, in, in my opinion, Jason Pridey, the best of the complimentary players. So I think uh, I thought Minnesota won on this deal. I will say that Tampa is in a position that they feel like they have to win now. Obviously, they've done everything they can to, to, to change the marketing campaign there. Yeah. They've changed the name. I know their fans are very frustrated given uh, the widespread mediocrity that the franchise has suffered ever since its inception, and this is a deal that they felt they had to make, because I do think Garza has potential to be a legitimate number two starter when you 15 to 18 games a year, and I'm talking for 10 years. I oh, mean, yeah, no, he he's has, a, you know, a young a guy. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's got great stuff and, and huge balls, if, if you uh, please excuse the phrase. This guy pitches right. with a chip on his shoulder, and unfortunately, sometimes the chip gets the better of him. He's got to learn right. how to pitch more than just 
his throw, and if he does, and it's a big if, but Joe Madden did some pretty good things in Anaheim with their pitchers and some young arms at that, and I don't know that Irvin Santana's regression wasn't somewhat attributable to the fact that Madden was gone and Mike Butcher came back there in Anaheim because Santana took a big step back in 07, uh, but maybe Madden can help kind of mold uh, Matt Garza into the pitcher that he has potential to be, and this deal won't look as lopsided, but at least initially, based on present ability, I thought Tampa Bay uh, lost in this trade and that the Twins really did a great job. I think both organizations were a little tired of these two primary Perhaps, players. Yeah. I think the Twins thought that Matt Garza was a little too stubborn for his own good. Uh, when in doubt, he throws the fastball a little harder than he threw the last one, and he has the kind of arm where he can do that, which is you know, more power to you. I-, I will take my chances with a guy who throws 97 in the 7th, 8th, ninth innings like Matt Garza can. Um, that said, I think Delman Young could it would still be a Tampa Bay Devil Ray, a Tampa Bay Ray, if he'd handled the last weekend of the season better. But when he blew up and talked about walking out on that team, pulling a Sammy Sosa basically toward the end of that season, uh, I think that Joe Madden said, you know, this is it. We've put up with enough. We've tried everything. We've covered for this guy's faults. Yep. And I think the Devil Rays were tired of it. And, and, and I, I don't blame them for being tired of I it. I don't either. And Joe Madden, as a first-year manager, has to take stands to make sure that his reputation is not one that he'll be walked on by players. And I thought that that was warranted. The way he handled it was correct. He Agreed. made Young come to him that last day of the season in order to put him back in the lineup. And um, and I thought, I think you're right. I think this, you know, he had just reached the end of the leash. And, and hopefully for Delman Young, who is not a bad kid, right. uh, because I've met him, I've talked Talked with him. I, I've, I've actually my initial conversations were with him when he was playing oh, yeah. way back in high school. So Pooh Bandit Twenty One, ex- exactly. <laughs> AOL login name at one point. Exactly, no doubt about it. Um, and, and I hope that Delman Young can figure out that what's going to help him become the player that he has the potential to be is by keeping his mouth shut and playing hard every single day. No matter what the makeup concerns are, to me the Twins had to make a move to get a bat, and you get a right-handed bat, a profile right field bat. To put in between Mauer and Morneau, left, right, left. You got Kadire as a perfect six-hole guy. And Jason Pridey, I'm glad you mentioned him. I think Jason Pridey, everything I've read about Jason Pridey today sells him completely short. Um, this guy is, a, I think, a championship-caliber center fielder. I'm not saying he's a game-changer or a superstar. I'm saying I think he's a 50-big-league player. I think he's a major-league average center fielder. He can go get him in, in center field. He's got power. He has uh, I think he is fringe average or much better across the board. The fringe average is the hit tool. That's the most important tool. But he's got the swing. It all comes down to patience, aggressiveness, pitch recognition, all those things for him to maximize his offensive potential. But he is, if Steve Finley was a 60, this guy's a 50. He's Steve Finley, but not 35 home runs and gold glove defense. It's 15 to 20 home runs and really good defense. He's not going to make him forget Torrey Hunter. But he's a similar player in terms of the aggressiveness, the good defense, just not great. Good home home run power, not great. Mm-hmm. But I, I like Jason Pridey a lot. I think he's a, I think you can win a championship with Jason Pridey as your center fielder, and that's the goal in Minnesota. And they had the pitching to trade. So I think both teams dealt from positions of strength, and this is the kind of trade I love to see. And I like to see both organizations being bold, but especially the Devil Rays. I keep saying that Tampa needed to be bold. And for them, if they have another 65-win season next year, it's same old Rays, new name, new colors, doesn't matter. They, In my mind, they have to make a quantum leap forward. And you can do that when you improve your pitching the way they have. And 
boy, two years down the line when they're going to have to decide between, okay, we've got uh, Shields and Garza and Casimir. Now you got to work in Davis, McGee, Price, Neiman, and some holdovers like Hamill, Howell, Sonnenstein, Matt Talbot. I mean, it's ridiculous. Chris Mason, yep. uh, Jeremy Hellickson, they have you ha- to overcome their past history of awful pitching. You have to have surplus. And they right. have surplus now. They have to evaluate the talent they have properly and put those guys in position to succeed. I'd love it if they traded from a little bit more of their surplus and could go out and get a veteran starting pitcher, or if they could find one at a reasonable price in free agency just to be a mentor. These younger guys, I, I think that matters. But, uh, again, the stats don't say that, but I think it matters. I think mean, they can't keep running out young guys without a clue right. all the time. They've got the power arm thing down. Now and they should, it would behoove them to go get a veteran who could be a mentor to these guys and show them how to be professionals. Absolutely. Teach them how to win. Uh, that, that, that's a big part of it. But, Alan, now you're on your way to help uh, an organization win a championship. They got pretty close. They won a National League <laughs> pennant this year. I hope you can uh, help them uh, win a championship. That's the goal, I think, of every scout, and no good doubt. luck doing that. No doubt. It feels great to be walking into an organization that's already set up and positioned to, to win. And uh, I, just ho- I just hope that we can keep on winning with me plugged in there. And it's been, it's been a wonderful experience here at Baseball America, John, and I mean it when I say uh, I'm, I'm very uh, – uh, humbled and um, and appreciative of the opportunities that I've been uh, presented here that have allowed me to step forward and, and actually work in professional baseball. Thanks for all you've done, and uh, thanks for having so much fun with me on the podcast. They're it's a been, lot of fun. Yeah, we've been doing a couple of years now, and I hope our listeners enjoy them half as much as we enjoy presenting them. I know at times we're probably uh, a lot looser with our diction and, and, <laughs> and have a lot more fun with it than people realize, um, but, uh, but I hope that there is some quality that's given on the other side, and uh, we'll do them again next week. In fact, you guys will be in Nashville and, and Nashville doing podcast. it live. The Rule 5 draft takes place on December 6th, next Thursday. Uh, we'll have National League West top 10 prospects un- unfurled on the website. And we'll be I'll talking be... to the guys from your organization. The Rockies yep. are our 2007 organization of the year. So yep. we'll, I'm sure that we'll grab one of those guys uh, on the podcast uh, next week. All right. Well, uh, make sure you tell them how, how good a job I did for you in the last <laughs> five years, would you? I'll do that. Thanks, Alan. Yep. And thanks for listening. For John Manuel, I'm Alan Matthews. So long, everybody.